الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد الحمد لله This evening we continue going through the hadith reported on the authority of Abu Darda رضي الله عنه about the virtue of knowledge and its people and the superiority of the people of knowledge and uh, we this evening we move on to the statement of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam towards the end of this hadith where he said sallallahu alaihi wasallam wa inna fadl al-'alimi 'ala al-'abidi ka fadl al-qamari laylat al-badri 'ala sa'ir al-kawakib wa inna al-'ulama'a waratha al-anbiya وَإِنَّ الْأَنْبِيَاءَ لَمْ يُوَرِّثُوا دِينَارًا وَلَا دِرْهَمًا وَرَّثُوا الْعِلْمِ فَمَنْ أَخَذَهُ أَخَذَ بِحَظٍ وَافِرٍ So in this part of the hadith, the Prophet wasallam said what means And verily, the superiority of the alim, the scholar, over the abid, the normal worshipper, devout worshipper of Allah is like that of the full moon over the rest of the planets in the sky. And verily the scholars are the inheritors of the prophets. And verily the prophets left behind no wealth as inheritance, but they left behind or they bequeathed knowledge. So whoever takes this has taken a great fortune. So in this part of the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ explained the superiority of the scholar over the abid. So in this hadith, there is a clarification that the scholar, the one who is knowledgeable of Allah and the religion of Allah, he is better and more superior <coughs> than a person who is not a scholar but worships Allah, he's righteous and he worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with other types of ibadah and it would uh, it is befitting here to point out that what is meant by the abid what is meant by the worshipper here is a person who worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala based upon knowledge He's not a scholar, but he worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala based upon knowledge. As for an abid, as for a worshipper who tries to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without knowledge, then such a person is blameworthy. And he doesn't have the virtue in the first place to be compared to, uh, or to, to have this comparison made between the scholar and the abid the worshipper because a person who tries to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without knowledge that person is blameworthy in Islam according to the Quran and Sunnah because from the obligations that are upon every person is that when he worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he worships Allah based upon knowledge and this has been mentioned already when we spoke about the ruling on seeking knowledge and that it is obligatory upon every person scholar and non-scholar 
male and female, young and old, that they do not do anything in the religion. They do not try to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, except with, based upon knowledge of what pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how to worship Allah. And as the Salaf, the pious predecessors said, As-sa'iru ala ghayri tariqi yufsidu akthar mimma yuslih. A person who tries to reach Allah, who tries to follow the path, or who tries to travel and move to Allah without treading the correct path, then what he spoils is more than what he rectifies. He does more harm than good. And he doesn't know how to, see, how to reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the first thing to keep in mind when we make this comparison between the scholar and the non-scholar who worships Allah devoutly and sincerely is that we're talking about the abid, the worshipper who worships Allah correctly and worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala based upon knowledge. So even such a person who is righteous in himself and worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with all different kinds of ibadah. He prays at night. After fulfilling his obligations, he prays the extra prayers at night. He fasts the extra fast. He gives in charity. He goes out in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when it is not obligatory upon him specifically. He does all kinds of good and he worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the scholar the one who knows Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the religion of Allah, who is knowledgeable, is superior to him. And this is mentioned explicitly here in the hadith where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, وَإِنَّ فَضْلَ الْعَالِمْ عَلَى الْعَابِدِ And verily the superiority, the excellence of the scholar over the abid, the worshipper, is like that of the full moon over the rest of the planets in the sky. And in this hadith, as we see, the scholar is likened to the full moon. And the abid, the worshipper of Allah who is not a scholar, is likened to the rest of the planets as they appear in the sky. And the full moon as you know, is when the moon's beauty and light is complete, when it is shining and illuminating the most it ever does. And this hadith tells us that the difference, the difference between the scholar and the worshipper in virtue and excellence is like that of the full moon, the light of the full moon and its beauty as it appears to the onlooker in the sky over the rest, compared to the rest of the planets in the sky which appear as dots of light. And the reason for this, the reason behind this is that the light that shines and guides people at night is 
like the light or is the likeness which is used in the Quran and in the Sunnah for the guidance that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed to his prophets. And the reason that there's this difference, there's this big difference between the scholar and the person who is not a scholar but is a devout worshipper of Allah is because the light that comes from the planets in the sky as they appear, small dots in the sky. That light is restricted to those planets or those bodies in the, in, in, in the heavens themselves. Or to that which is close to them. Whereas the light of the moon, the full moon, shines upon all of the earth. And so people are guided by it through the night, in the darkness. So the light of the moon, when it is a full moon, it shines upon the earth and people are guided by it in the darkness. Whereas the light that comes from the planets in the sky, then it is, it is just restricted to those planets themselves. And so this parable or this likeness is very apt with regards to the scholar and the non-scholar. The benefit of the worship, the ibadah that the abid does is restricted to himself. He gets the reward if he's sincere and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts his ibadah. He gets that reward, no doubt. And he benefits from his worship, but th that benefit is restric restricted to himself or those who are close to him. As for the alim, as for the scholar, then people are guided by him en masse. And people are guided towards obedience to Allah and the worship of Allah through that scholar and his knowledge that he has, uh, that he uh, teaches and gives people. And also with regards to the aptness of this similarity of the scholar to the moon as opposed to the scholar being likened to the, to the sun because a person might ask a question. A person might say, well, if we say that the light is like the guidance that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah, and for sure in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah, the guidance, the revelation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent to guide mankind is called light, then why is the scholar not likened to the sun as opposed to the moon? He's only likened to the moon, albeit the full moon, but he's not likened to the sun here. And there are a few reasons given with regards to this question. The first is that the light of the sun is taken from somewhere else. Uh, sorry, the light, the light that comes from the moon 
comes from somewhere else. It comes from the sun. And likewise, the scholar, the light that is with him, comes from the sun of the risala, the message that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent to his and revealed to his prophets and messengers. And that is why the Prophet is a lamp of guidance, like the sun. Whereas the scholar, because his knowledge is not from himself, his knowledge and the light that is with him is taken from the Messenger of Allah So he is like the moon compared to the sun. And likewise, the scholars mention, as Ibn al-Qayyim and others have done in explaining this point, the moon, the light of the moon differs from time to time and sometimes the light of the moon is greater and sometimes it is reduced depending on what phase the moon is in. And likewise, the ulama, the scholars, they differ in how much knowledge they have and in the level of the knowledge that they possess. And in a similar way, the abid, the, uh, the, the non-scholar, the worshipper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is likened to the planets in the sky, to the kawakib in Arabic, and not to the nujum or the stars. Because the nujum, the stars, as has proceeded, are the example of the ulama, of the scholars, by which a person can be guided, by which a person can navigate. So the abid, who is not a scholar, is likened to the planets in the sky, the kawakib. And the scholar in previous uh, in a previous uh, discussion were likened to the nujum or the stars because the stars are used <coughs> for navigation and guidance in the darkness whereas the planets themselves are just the bodies in general the planets in the sky the small uh, you know the small lights and the small dots in the sky and so as we know in the Quran and Sunnah, al-jahl, ignorance and misguidance is called darkness. And guidance and revelation from Allah is called light, nur. And so in the darkness of ignorance, a person can be guided, people are guided by the light that the scholars have. And the intensity or the superiority of the light that is the light of knowledge with the scholars compared to that which is with the worshipper of Allah who is not a scholar then this is like the difference between the full moon to the rest of these heavenly bodies in the night sky And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, وَإِنَّ الْعُلَمَاءَ وَرَثَةُ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ 
وَإِنَّ الْأَنْبِيَاءَ لَمْ يُوَرِّثُوا دِينَارًا وَلَا دِرْهَمًا وَرَّثُوا الْعِلْمِ فَمَنْ أَخَذَهُ أَخَذَ بِحَظٍ وَافِرٍ And verily the scholars are the inheritors of the prophets. And verily the prophets did not leave behind as inheritance any wealth, any money. They left behind knowledge. So whoever takes it has taken a great portion. So here, this part of the hadith explains that the scholars have inherited what the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came with of knowledge. And so they are the caliphs who take on the job of the prophets after them amongst their people by calling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and defending Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's religion. So they are the closest of people to the prophets. The ulama are the closest of people to the prophets. They are the most similar people to the prophets. They are not prophets, but they are the most similar and closest people to the prophets because they take on, they have taken on some of the duties of the prophets because they have inherited from them the knowledge that the prophets came with from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's wisdom and the, comp the completeness of his blessing and grace upon the prophets and their people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the prophets people who did not leave behind wealth. They did not leave behind money and worldly possession as inheritance to be taken from them. And the prophets were not sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to gather wealth and to gather riches and then to bequeath this to their people or to their followers or to their families. And as we said, this is from the completeness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's grace and his mercy upon them and upon the people that they were sent to. Because in this way, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cut off any excuse or any doubt that a person who is from the enemies or opponents of the prophets could raise to say that these prophets were just like other kings and other men who sought, who made uh, their da'wah, their call and their movement in order to amass wealth and for them and their sons and their progeny to benefit by it. As is the case with the kings and the rulers of the earth who amass wealth and they call to themselves and they make their call in order for them to amass their wealth and for them to leave this for their families and for their children, for their progeny to be the kings and to be inheritors of the earth after them, of worldly wealth. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cut, uh, cut off this excuse or this doubt that might be raised by the opponents of the messengers. And he made the prophets people who were not interested in amassing wealth and people who did not leave behind wealth for their families to inherit. So it not be said 
such that it cannot be said that they were like the kings and the people on the earth who vie with each other to get followers to amass wealth and to bequeath this to their own families and to their dynasties. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cut this off and this is part of the wisdom. This is part of the wisdom behind Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala making the prophets, his noble prophets alayhimu salatu wassalam, making them people who did not interest themselves in amassing worldly wealth and who were not interested in leaving this behind for their children and their progeny. And as such, the ulama also are from, they have a portion of this. And they, they, take, they, they take the position of the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed his revelation to his prophets to guide mankind, to tell mankind and call them to what, what pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to tell people how to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone without partner and to tell them the guidance, the laws and the rules and regulations that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed for mankind and for their benefit. And likewise, the ulama being the inheritors of the prophets who inherited this knowledge, they also stand between the rest of the people and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in conveying this knowledge, which is the knowledge that the prophets came with. So the prophets in this, uh, the ulama, the scholars in this sense, are also in the position of standing in the position of the prophets and messengers after them, after they have gone, to teach the people and to convey to them what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed and what Allah wants of, of the people. And this, is a, this was recognized by the early Muslims and this status was recognized by the scholars and the, and the righteous from the Salaf of this Ummah, the pious predecessors of this Ummah. The great scholar Muhammad ibn al-Munkadir said, إِنَّ الْعَالِمَ بَيْنَ اللَّهِ وَبَيْنَ خَلْقِهِ فَلْيَنظُرْ كَيْفَ يَدْخُلُ عَلَيْهِمْ The scholar is a person who is between Allah and between his creation, Allah's creation. So let him look carefully how he enters upon them. So in this there is a responsibility for the scholar and there is a responsibility for the people towards the scholar. As for the scholar, he has to be careful how he enters upon the people, what he tells them and what he conveys to them because he is in a position of standing between them and between Allah to communicate and tell them what Allah wants and what Allah means in his revelation. As this is what the prophets came with and this is what the ulama inherited from the prophets. So the scholar has a duty of care and he has a duty to be careful 
and fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and be correct and accurate and truthful in what he tells the people. And the people have a responsibility to respect and to, and to understand the status of that scholar because that scholar is their line, is their connection with the revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the prophets came with from Allah. And Imam Sufyan ibn Uyayna rahimahullah ta'ala from the great scholars of the Salaf said, أَرْفَعُ النَّاسِ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ مَنْزِلَةً مَنْ كَانَ بَيْنَ اللَّهِ وَبَيْنَ عِبَادِهِ وَهُمُ الْأَنْبِيَاءُ وَالْعُلَمَاءُ He said, rahimahullah, the loftiest of people in status, in position, are those that come between Allah and between His ibad, His worshippers, His creation, the other people. And they are the anbiya, the prophets, and the ulama, the scholars after them. That is the loftiest status that a person who is not a prophet can have. And that is the status of the alim. The status of the scholar because he is following on from the prophets, one who stands as a, as a communication and as a uh, conveyor of knowledge between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the rest of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation, the people. And likewise, Sufyan ibn Uyayna rahimahullah said, لَمْ يُعْطَ أَحَدٌ فِي الدُّنْيَا شَيْئًا أَفْضَلَ مِنَ النُّبُوَّةِ وَمَا بَعْدَ النُّبُوَّةِ شَيْءٌ أَفْضَلَ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ وَالْفِقْهِ فَقِيلَ عَمَّنْ هَذَا قَالَ عَنِ الْفُقَهَاءِ كُلِّهِمْ Sufyan, Imam Sufyan ibn Uyayna rahimahullah also said No one in this dunya has been given anything better than prophethood and nubuwah. That is the loftiest status and the loftiest thing that Allah gives to a person. And that is Allah making them a prophet, making them a nabi. And then he said, وَمَا بَعْدَ النُّبُوَّةِ شَيْءٌ أَفْضَلَ مِنَ الْعِلْمُ وَالْفِقْهِ And there is nothing after prophethood better or more virtuous or superior than knowledge and fiqh, understanding the religion. And he was asked about this. He, he was asked, they said to him, who is this from? Who did you understand this from? Or who did you take this from? And he said, from all the jurists, from all the scholars, all of them know this and understand this and they are agreed on this. That after prophethood, there is no status loftier than the status of knowledge and understanding of the religion. And this is the understanding of all jurists, all scholars of Islam. Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah ta'ala said, إِذَا رَأَيْتُ رَجُلًا مِنْ أَصْحَابِ الْحَدِيثِ فَكَأَنِّي رَأَيْتُ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ حَيَّا Imam al-Shafi'i, the great Imam, said, when I see a person, when I see a man from the people of hadith, 
meaning those who memorize and report and are experts in knowing the narrations, the statements, and the actions of the Prophet ﷺ in the hadith. He said, when I see a man from the people of hadith, the scholars and the students of hadith, then it is as if I have seen the Prophet ﷺ alive. When I see a man from Ashabul Hadith, it is as if I have seen the Prophet ﷺ alive. Why? Because it is the people of knowledge, the people who have knowledge of the Hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, who know his actions, who know what he said, who know what he did, who know what he commanded and what he prohibited. And when they convey this and when they act upon this themselves, they implement it themselves and then convey it to others, then through them the people know the Prophet ﷺ. And the people of Hadith, the scholars of Hadith, have the greatest knowledge about the Prophet ﷺ because they are busy, their, their whole uh, specialization and their whole and all of their time is taken uh, with knowing what the Prophet said and what he didn't say and what he did and what he didn't do and what he commanded and what he prohibited and how he was and what, what were his attributes so they know him and they can describe him and they can tell us about him best and so when they implement this themselves when the people of Hadith they implement this themselves and they live by the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, then they exemplify the mannerisms. They exemplify, they show us how the Prophet ﷺ was to the extent that al-Shafi'i, rahimahullah, the Imam, is said to have uttered this statement. When I see a man from the people of Hadith, then it is as if I have seen the Prophet ﷺ alive. And this is a great virtue. This is a great status for the people of Hadith, the scholars of Hadith. And so we should recognize that status for the people who know the Hadith of the Prophet ﷺ and those who have preserved it for us and they have, set, and they have passed it down to us. And in this Hadith, and in this hadith also, we are directed to obey the ulama. We are commanded to obey the ulama, to respect them and to support them. Because this is, and these are only some of the rights of those that they inherited from the prophets. The prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being those who conveyed to us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his religion and being the cause of salvation upon this earth that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made for those who follow them and those who believed in them then they have great rights upon the people the prophets and messengers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have great rights upon the people that, we, that, that the people should uh, believe them and obey them and they should respect them and hold them in the highest esteem and they should support them and defend them 
And since the ulama are the inheritors of the prophets in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent for mankind, then they also have a portion of these rights. The rights of the ulama are that a person obeys them. Of course, as long as this does not involve disobedience to Allah, because there is no obedience to the creation if it involves disobedience to Allah, as the Prophet ﷺ told us. But the rule is that the, the ulama are to be obeyed. And they are certainly to be respected, since they are the inheritors of the prophets. And they should be defended. And this is part of defending the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we are directed in this portion of the hadith, as was the case with the previous uh, parts of this hadith and other texts from the Quran and Sunnah. We are directed here and commanded that love of the scholars is part of the religion, since they are the inheritors of the prophets. And hatred for the ulama is it negates and is contrary to the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For just as the prophets of Allah are the best of the people and they are the closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the most beloved to Allah and they are the imams, they are the leaders of the awliya, they are the leaders of those who are beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then the ulama, the scholars who inherit them and follow their pattern and follow their path, then they are the awliya of Allah. They are those who are described as being the awliya or the, the beloved servants of Allah who have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's support and whose allegiance and whose love above all is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Imams recognize this status. The Salaf, the pious predecessors, recognize this status for the ulama in general. And it is reported from both Imam al-Shafi'i and Abu Hanifa, rahimahumullah ta'ala, the two Imams al-Shafi'i and Abu Hanifa, that they said, إِنْ لَمْ يَكُنِ الْعُلَمَاءُ وَالْفُقَهَاءُ أَوْلِيَاءَ اللَّهِ فَلَيْسَ لِلَّهِ وَلِي if the ulama, if the scholars and the jurists, the fuqaha are not the awliya of Allah, the righteous beloved servants of Allah, the saints, then Allah has no wali. Then Allah has no wali. So Imam al-Shafi and Abu Hanifa, rahimahumullah ta'ala, are reported to have said, إِنْ لَمْ يَكُنِ الْعُلَمَاءُ وَالْفُقَهَاءُ أَوْلِيَاءُ اللَّهِ أَوْلِيَاءُ اللَّهِ فَلَيْسَ لِلَّهِ وَلِي If the scholars and the fuqaha are not the awliya of Allah, then Allah has no wali. And as such, we should be warned that attacking and disparaging and reviling the scholars is a great sin. And it is enmity, it is tantamount to enmity and animosity against Allah and His religion. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, 
And he told us through his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam that if a person has animosity and enmity and he opposes the awliya, those who are beloved to Allah from his servants, then that is tantamount to war against Allah and Allah has declared war against that person. So in the authentic hadith, the hadith Qudsi, the Prophet wasallam said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ta- said, مَنْ عَادَ لِي وَلِيًّا فَقَدْ آذَنْتُهُ بِالْحَرْبِ Whoever shows enmity to a wali of mine, to one who I love, to one who I support because of his righteousness and his obedience of me, then I have declared war against him. Then I have declared war against him. And as such, going against and showing enmity and opposition to the ulama is a serious and grave sin. And it can reach the level of kufr. And it can reach the level of kufr by which a person becomes an apostate and leaves Islam. Attacking, reviling, mocking, showing enmity to the scholars is a grave sin. The least of which is al-fisq. A person becomes a fasiq, a sinner, if he is guilty of this. And it can reach the level whereby it becomes kufr and a person leaves the fold of Islam by it. And in any case, the person involved in attacking and reviling and speaking ill of the ulama is a person who is turning others away from the religion of Allah. That is why when the scholars were asked, when scholars are asked about what is the situation, what's the ruling on a person who reviles or speaks ill of the ulama, they mention that the one who does this, then, then his reviling and his attacking and his speaking ill of the scholars leads to, it can lead to, an attacking the religion itself. Because when a person reviles a scholar and speaks ill of him, then he is not only attacking the person and personality of that alim, that scholar, but he is also undermining the religion, the knowledge that this, not, this scholar has, that he inherited from the prophets. And as such, he could be guilty of turning others, turning people away from the religion of Allah, by turning them away from the scholars. And if people are turned away from the scholars and turned off the scholars, then they are turned off the knowledge and the revelation that was uh, uh, that they inherited from the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as such, to revile the scholars is worse than reviling any other kind of believer or Muslim. And all of it is haram. To speak ill, to backbite 
and to revile a believer who is just a normal believer and not somebody who is a scholar is in itself a great sin. But to revile the scholar is even worse. And this is why, as the famous statement from the scholars goes, the flesh of the scholars is poisonous. The flesh of the scholars is poisonous. Meaning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbade backbiting, al-ghibah. He forbade backbiting in the Quran and through his messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And it is forbidden to backbite another Muslim. And it is from the major serious sins. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala likened it in the Quran, as you know, to eating the flesh of your dead brother. When you backbite another Muslim, when you speak ill of him or her, then when you backbite another Muslim, Allah likened this to eating his dead flesh to turn you away, to make you realize how heinous this action is. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbade us. Do not backbite one another. And he said to us, Would any of you want to eat the flesh of his dead brother? For sure you would hate this and you are sickened by the idea of it. And so you should also be sickened by the idea of speaking ill of another believer, of another Muslim. So that is the case with the believer and the Muslim in general. So what about the scholar? What about the scholar who is from the best of the believers and the best of the Muslims? Then if you eat his flesh, meaning you speak ill of him, then it's like not only have you eaten flesh, but you have eaten the flesh of your Muslim, your fellow Muslim, and the flesh is poisoned. It will kill you. And that is because the punishment for speaking ill of the ulama is the death of the heart. Is the death of the heart. And this is stated by more than one of the salaf, of the pious predecessors of the past. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's way and Allah's sunnah with regards to the people who attack and revile the scholars, then it is well known that Allah destroys those people. He exposes them. And one of the punishments for a person who continues to do this without repenting to Allah is the death of his heart. His own heart will die and his religion will be spoilt and will become corrupted. And this is also something which is mushahad. This is also something which is witnessed throughout history and throughout time until today. That those who revile the righteous and those who revile the scholars, then often enough we see that those types of people end up losing their own religion. They end up becoming so deviated and so twisted in their own beliefs and in their own statements that they lose their own religion. 
and the examples of those going down that path are not far from you. We have today people who involve themselves in da'wah, who involve themselves in speaking and trying to gain followers. Those who revile the scholars and, and who began by speaking ill of the scholars and have ended up almost losing their religion if they haven't lost it already. And if we want to name names, then we can give names. But this is something which is experienced. This is something which is experienced. Someone starts by speaking ill of the ulama when he was studying and when he was still learning. And he ends up doubting the principles and the foundations of Islam today, like the Quran. And he starts to, and he started to leave the religion. We said that this ta'an, this attack and revilement of the scholars, at the very least is a great sin, is fisk, is a type of rebelliousness against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sinfulness. And we said that it can lead, it can reach the level of kufr. It can reach the level of disbelief and ridda apostasy from Islam and that is if a person reviles the scholars because of the knowledge that they have because of his dislike for the knowledge that they carry of Islam then that person leaves the fold of Islam And the proof for this is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran in Surah Tawbah, which is, uh, as you'll uh, come to see, is one of the uh, proofs for this very important point and this very important rule. And that is that from those things that nullify a person's Islam, from those things that make a person apostate from the religion of Islam and become a kafir, after he was a Muslim is if he mocks and belittles Allah or his religion or his messenger or his book or any part of Islam. If somebody mocks the religion and belittles it and reviles it, then this is one of those things that take a person outside of Islam as you already know from studying and from knowing what the ulama, the scholars have said about those things which are uh, uh, called nawaqidul islam the nullifiers of Islam. One of them is to mock and to uh, make fun of and to belittle the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in this regard we have the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Tawbah. in Sa'altahum Layakulunna in Namakunna Nahudu Wanal Ab. Pul Abilahi wa Ayatihi wa Rasulihi Kuntum Testahzeun La Ta'atadiru Kad Kafartum Bada Imanikum. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the Munafiqeen, the hypocrites, the Munafiq. And how a group of them mocked 
the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and therefore after having believed they fell into kufr after their iman Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said what means in this ayah and if you ask them if you ask them what did, what, about what they were saying they will tell you they will say we were only playing we were only playing and jesting say to them is it Allah and his ayat his signs and his verses and his messenger that you mock that you were mocking do not seek any excuse you had you disbelieved after your iman you have disbelieved after your iman and as we know from the tafsir from the explanation of this ayah uh, from the ahadith from the narrations from the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and from the statements of the scholars of tafsir from the sahaba and tabi'in those who came after the companions this verse was revealed after an incident took place in the time of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam during one of the battles uh, when the muslims were preparing and they were uh, involved and they were busy at the time of battle one person accompanied by one or two a couple of other people during this work and during what they were doing he said something that was uh, mocking the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the companions with him in fact what he said didn't even explicitly mention the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam but that is what he intended so he said words to the effect while he was chatting and talking with those who were with him he said i we i have never seen anyone like these qurra these reciters and in the time of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and in the in the uh, terminology of the companions those who were knowledgeable those who studied the quran and who have knowledge they used to be called al-qurra the reciters or the readers so this person this individual said i've not seen anyone like these qurra of ours so so greedy for food and so cowardly when they meet the enemy and he mentioned these things by way of mockery and looking down upon them and one of those who heard what he said rebuked him and said you're a liar i'm going to inform the messenger of allah about what you've said and so the the revelation was revealed this man who had made this statement of mockery he hurried to go to the messenger and to apologize to him and to try to make an excuse to say he was only joking and he was trying to pass the time as they were working and digging and doing what they had to do he ha- to pass the time he got caught up in this kind of discussion or or chat with his friends and he was trying to just pass the time and this this statement came out of his mouth and so he tried to give this excuse but the revelation had already been revealed 
to the Prophet ﷺ and the Prophet ﷺ was on his ride. And the revelation, this ayah had been revealed. And so this man came to the messenger holding on, dragging himself until some of the narrations, some of the ahadith mentioned that he held on to the reins of the Prophet's ride. And the Prophet ﷺ said nothing to him in response to his excuse, except he recited this ayah. He recited this ayah. قُلْ أَبِاللَّهِ وَآيَاتِهِ وَرَسُولِهِ كُنْتُمْ تَسْتَهْزِئُونَ Say, is it Allah and his ayat, his verses and signs, and his messenger that you, used, that you were mocking? Seek no excuse. You have committed kufr. You have fallen into kufr after your iman. And the Prophet ﷺ only recited to him this ayah. And he moved on until it mentions that the man held on to the reins of the ride of the Prophet ﷺ while the Prophet moved on and he was dragging his feet in the dust. He, dragged, he, was being, he, he held on to the reins such that he was dragged along the floor because he didn't want to let go he was trying to get the Prophet ﷺ to accept his excuse. But the excuse is not correct. So this ayah and other evidence in the Quran and the Sunnah clearly shows that one of those things that make a person an apostate and leave the religion is to mock the religion or to, or to mock any part of the religion. And if you look at what this man said, as the ulama have pointed out, if you look at what this man said, the first thing he said, and really what he mentioned according to this hadith, is that I have never seen or we have never seen anyone like these qurra, these readers, these reciters. So his mockery of the religion was through mockery and looking down upon those who were knowledgeable of the religion, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. He didn't mention Allah directly. He didn't mention the Messenger ﷺ directly. He didn't mention the Qur'an. He didn't mock any of these things directly. But he mocked and, and, and looked down upon those who carried and who learnt and who passed on this knowledge from the Messenger ﷺ, and they are the Qurra, the reciters, the readers, meaning the ulama of that time. And they are first and foremost the Sahaba, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. And from this the ulama have also mentioned, going back to the point that was made, that mockery and belittlement of the scholars of Islam can, can lead or it could lead a person to apostasy, to kufr. And that is if he intends and if he means by his mockery the knowledge and the religion that they, these scholars carry. And this is why al-Sheikh al-Imam Abdurrahman ibn Hassan al-Sheikh rahimahullah mentioned while commenting on this principle, this idea of apostasy from the religion based upon uh, mocking 
and belittling the religion based on this ayah from Surah At-Tawbah. He mentions, وَفِيهِ بَيَانٌ أَنَّ الْإِنسَانَ قَدْ يَكْفُرُ بِكَلِمَةٍ يَتَكَلَّمُ بِهَا أَوْ بِعَمَلٍ يَعْمَلُ بِهِ And then he goes on to say, وَمِنْ هَذَا الْبَابِ الْإِسْتِهْزَاءُ بِالْعِلْمِ وَأَهْلِهِ وَعَدَمْ إِحْتِرَامِهِمْ لِأَجْلِهِ In this principle and from this ayah, there is a clarification that a person could disbelieve, he could, be, he could fall into kufr by a statement that comes from his mouth, a statement that he utters. Or a single action that he does. And he goes on to say, and from this, and part of this, and from this same domain is al istihza'u bil ilm, mockery of knowledge, wa ahlihi, and the people of knowledge, wa adamu ihtiramihim, and lack of respect for them because of this knowledge. So this is one of the ways that a person can even fall into kufr. And that is that he mocks the people of knowledge because of the knowledge that they have. Because of the religion that they have. And this is from the way of the munafiqeen. As is clear from this ayah and the verses before it and the verses after it. This is from the way of the munafiqeen, of the hypocrites. Those who hide, try to hide their kufr while pretending to be Muslims on the outside. One of their qualities is that they mock the people of righteousness and they mock the people of knowledge and they belittle them and they speak evil of them. And in any case, a person who does this, he turns others away from the religion of Allah and is guilty of a great sin. So this is some of what is mentioned by the scholars. In light of this hadith, in light of the statement of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, wa inna al-ulama waratul anbiya. Verily, the scholars are the inheritors of the prophets. Wa inna al-anbiya lam yuwarithu dinaran wala dirhama. And verily, the prophets did not in, uh, did not bequeath, did not leave as inheritance any wealth or money, worldly wealth or money. They left behind waratul ilm. They left behind knowledge. So whoever takes it takes a great portion. And bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, we will conclude uh, the rest of the commentary on this part, part, this final part of the hadith in the forthcoming class. Bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, aqulu hadha wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum wa sallallahu wa sallam ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.